Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Well, an instrument of some form is required when we want to tap into a power source. An an electrical wire is needed to tap into the source of electricity. An anchor is needed to secure a ship to the the ocean floor. And a rope is needed to secure a rock climber to the belayer. One of the activities that my children love to do is climb. And whenever we stop at a rest stop, if there's a tree, if there's a ramp, if there's a handrail, they will climb. And if there's not anything like that, they will start climbing me. So as parents, we look for ways to encourage our kids in climbing. And we arrived in Wichita, we noticed that the YMCAs here have a really nice climbing wall. And the, the gear and all of that is included in the membership. So we thought we'd join the YMCA. And April and I got belay certified so we can climb with our kids whenever we wanted. Now before they can climb a wall... I, as their belayer or their safety anchor, if you will, will inspect all their rope, all their equipment, make sure that they are tied on correctly. Uh, I will even tie the knots for them and make sure that my little girl is secure and anchored to me by a rope. Now, they didn't do anything to work or they didn't pay for anything. I've given them and done for them everything they need to climb. And when they climb, My eyes are fixed on them, and they have my full attention. All they have to do is simply trust me and believe that I'm going to hold on to them if they fall. And if they're too tired about halfway up the wall, they can just let go and dangle. And I'll catch, they can catch their breath, and I'll hold on to them. And then they say the command before they climb, they'll say, on belay, and I'll say, belay on. And then they will say, climbing then I'll say, climb on. See, the rope that binds my daughter to me is what allows me to exercise my power for them to safely climb. And this is the same concept we see with Christ in our faith journey. He has accomplished everything necessary for our faith journey with him. And all we have to do is trust him and climb. Faith is a spiritual rope that binds us to Christ and it allows God to secure us by the power of his grip. Jesus is the power source and faith is the instrument that binds us to God and allows him to unleash his power in and through us. When we get tired in our spiritual climb, our grip may fail. And you may even doubt if God is on the other side of your spiritual line. But he is with you. He is watching you attentively. And his grip on us will never fail. This morning, maybe you have doubts about your faith and salvation. And you just desperately want to hear God say that you are secure. Or perhaps your mind and body are decaying as you grow older. And you fear that your faith might be spiritually decaying with it. Or maybe you're ministering to someone who is struggling with their faith. You may have heard people advise in some of these situations, you got to have more faith. But in all these concerns, we want to know 
well, what is this thing called faith? You may have heard people say, that person is a man of faith, or that is a strong woman of faith. But what qualities do these people exhibit that makes them stand out as a people of faith? This morning, as we continue in our series in Mark, we're going to see a story that will teach us about what that faith is and how faith connects us to God. So if you're not already there with me, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We have pew Bibles in front if you'd like to follow along. Uh, I, will, I like to walk through the text, and so uh, if you have your Bible, uh, follow along with me. In our story in Mark, so far Jesus is on the move. Uh, we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus miraculously calmed the storm and he moved across the lake to cast out the legion of demons from this demonized man. And this morning it comes to the, the climax of this short sequence of miracles. Remember the disciples were terrified at his authority to supernaturally command the storm to stop. And the people who came from the town to see this demonized man were terrified at what Jesus had done to the demons. After all, they had never seen anything like this before. So if Jesus has complete power and total control over nature and even demons, well, over what else can he possibly have control? The answer to that question will be given to us through a, a, what we call a sandwich narrative. It's a, it's a literary structure Mark used to emphasize a point. Now, I know it's almost lunchtime, so don't let this illustration derail your concentration, okay? The best part of a sandwich okay, is the meat, okay? I'm going to call it the meat even though you're a vegetarian and you can replace meat with tofu or I can't believe it's not meat patties if you would like. But for the sake of this illustration, I'm going to call it meat Sometimes, I'll even get rid of the bread just to eat the meat. Okay, last Sunday, I went to Subway for lunch. I got the foot-long sub. It's a monster filly. And I took the one part of the six-inch, emptied the contents out, the meat into the other, and just ate that one sandwich. Why? Because I'm all about the meat. Okay? And this morning in Mark, I want you to be all about the meat as well. Okay? And some of you may argue, well, no, the bread's the best part. Well, maybe, but if you don't have the meat in the middle of it, you don't have a sandwich, okay? In which case, it's just the bread, which probably is the best part. But what makes a sandwich is the meat. And especially in this narrative this morning, the meat of the gospel is what we're going to see. Now, in a sandwich story or a narrative, the bread of the story is interrupted by another story, the meat of the story, and then we see the resolution of the first story. What is significant about this style used by Mark is that the meat of the story provides the key to understanding the whole sandwich narrative. So in these type of stories, the lesson here is don't miss the meat. Okay? There are several sandwiched stories throughout Mark. Uh, the beheading of John the Baptist that we're going to see next week is another one of these sandwiched narratives where uh, the beheading of John is sandwiched by the sending of the disciples and disciples going on uh, to share the gospel. Jesus clearing the temple is sandwiched by the cursing of the fig tree and the result of that. And the, the key is in the middle. And the story this morning is also that sandwiched story. 
The story of the bleeding woman is sandwiched by Jairus' story, and her story will provide the key to understanding Jairus' story. So with that in mind, let's dive into our text as we hear this text from the bread of life himself in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Here we have a man named Jairus, who was a well-known lay leader in a synagogue. If you have noticed so far in our series in Mark, Jesus transformed many lives, the paralytic, the demoniac, and many more who were sick and demonized. But what you'll notice is that their names are not given. The only other name given out of those who are personally healed is actually Bartimaeus in chapter 10. All other healings, Mark doesn't provide the names, like Jairus' daughter, the bleeding woman, the Syrophesian woman. So why did Mark give us Jairus' name? He was most likely a well-known figure later in the early church, and certainly well-known in the circle of his disciples. As Jairus likely became one of the great men of faith in the early church, Mark is encouraging the readers to identify with him in our faith journey, through his faith journey. Jairus is pleading with Jesus to come and save his daughter who is near the point of death. The question this scene raises for us is your first point in the outline. And these points today, they're not necessarily points to learn, but rather are markers, markers along the story that will unfold and answer the question that this section raises, which is, what will be required to save a life? What will save Jairus' daughter? His desperate plea was heard by Jesus, and so Jesus is on the move. So let's read on in verse 24, and let's look at now the meat of this sandwich story. <clears throat> verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want you to underline in verse 34, uh, the, especially the your faith has healed you. 
Notice she has been bleeding with a menstrual disorder for 12 years, which has made her a social outcast all those years. And anyone she touched would have also been deemed unclean, which would have caused inconvenience to others and would have brought a lot of shame to her. Sometimes when we have a mess in our house, I mean a big mess, something out of the ordinary, we'll get all the kids lined up to find out who did it. We'll have all the girls lined up, and along we have the two golden retrievers, and we'll say, who did this? Who tracked in all this mud, hopefully mud, and smeared it across the carpet? And when we ask with a serious tone, there's a presence of fear. The girls will usually go quiet, and the puppy's tail will be tucked in, but our older dog, he can't hear me, so he's just happy, and he didn't do anything wrong. And typically, no one will confess. But eventually, someone will fess up. And it's usually a combination of dogs and some kids and who knows. Well, what Jesus said here, when he said, who touched me? This is partly why the woman was terrified. Because she had thought, oh no, I had made him unclean. I have been caught red-handed and now I'm in trouble. But what we see here is that Jesus is the source of the divine healing power. When the woman was healed, Jesus knew that his power had gone out. If you remember from our sermon two weeks ago, that the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ, define Jesus as one who is truly God and truly human. And here again, we see both his divine and human natures in action. We also see that his his divine nature has executed this healing, while his human nature is unable to tell who was healed as he exclaimed, who touched me? The divine nature of God knows all things, but the human nature of Christ is not omniscient. In his human nature, Jesus needed to learn scripture as he grew up. And he needed to uh, get the revelation from the Father and the Spirit for special knowledge in in, in places like the woman of the well, as he was uh, aware of the woman's history. So if Jesus is the source of power in this story, what is the meat of the lesson from this woman we must take away? Well, that lesson's given to us in verse 34. After the woman confessed, Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, Jesus didn't say, my cloth has healed you. He didn't say, your touch has healed you. He said, your faith. And this is the next point in your outline. And that is that the woman's faith healed her. It was her faith. The word used for healing in verse 34 is also used throughout the Bible to mean saved or rescued in the sense of our salvation. When Jesus said, go in peace and be freed from your suffering, the peace and freedom that she experienced will on the surface be one where she is restored back into her society, but her faith in Jesus has brought her the kind of peace that can only be experienced through a right standing with God. Remember earlier, when I was describing the sandwich narrative, that the meat of the story is the key to this narrative? So what does that mean for Jairus? You see, what Jairus will need has been shown by this woman. 
What will save his daughter is the kind of faith that was demonstrated by her. So will Jairus be able to save his daughter through Jesus? Well, let's find out. Join me in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Highlight that word or underline that word. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in there where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Notice by the time Jesus came into the house that this daughter was already dead. The wailing and crying of the people is a confirmation of her death. Also notice a similarity between this bleeding woman and the daughter. The bleeding woman was deemed socially unclean, and here is a girl who is also socially unclean by her death. While the woman bled for 12 years, this girl was alive for those 12 years. The woman is proclaimed as daughter by the ruler of heaven and earth, while the girl is a daughter of a ruler of a synagogue. Both were in desperate circumstances, and the only hope for the woman was faith in Jesus. And the only hope for Jairus and this girl is also faith in Jesus. And Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. In other words, have faith in me. You trust me. And the result of his faith, after having witnessed the faith of the bleeding woman, is our third point in our outline. And that is Jairus' faith saved his daughter. Jairus' faith saved his daughter. Jairus' daughter was brought back to life from death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jairus believed personally that this Jesus is the Lord. Jesus' authority extends not just over the nature, not just over the demons, but it extends over life and death, for he is God. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is the effective cause of life. He is the power source of life. And faith is the instrumental cause which connects us to Christ for God to unleash his power in and through us. When we are bound to Christ through faith, there is no limit to what Jesus can do. 
Not even depression, relational struggles, fear, addiction, cancer, or even death has the final say. The one who guards you and holds you fast is the one who calmed the raging sea, dominated the legion of demons, miraculously healed the bleeding woman, and the one who raised the dead to life. Jesus is the power source of life, and your faith, that is a gift from the Holy Spirit, is what tethers you to him forever for him to unleash his power in you. You may wonder, well, but if I don't have faith, can Jesus still have that effect in my life? In other words, is faith really necessary for Jesus to work in my life? Well, this next section will give us an insight into how God uses faith. Let's read in our next section in chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his, hometown, in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Notice how people refer to Jesus here. The way they speak about him in verses 2 and 3 is actually insulting. Not only do they view him as a common man just like them, but they also seem to mock him in their reference to his upbringing. Most of you know that, that I grew up uh, in South Korea in the 1980s. And the Korea is the land of good food, good seafood, spicy food, K-pop, and it's a land of honor and shame culture. And one of the most shameful reputations a person could have during that time was being an illegitimate child. If you were a child who was born to a people who were not married, then people knew and there was shame that was brought on you and to your mom and your dad. Now that level of shame is hard to understand here in the American culture, but I remember that level of shame was not something you wanted in life. You're basically labeled your whole life, and people look down on you. Well, what we see in verse 3, in how these people are labeling Jesus, is very similar to how they treated an illegitimate child in Korea. Notice they call him Mary's son. But this was a patriarchal culture where they would have referred to a son by his father. In other words, they should have said, isn't this Joseph's son and not Mary's son? And this is an indication of labeling Jesus with shame as an illegitimate child. But sadly, this is the state of our spiritual state when you and I, when we are dead in our sins, 
See, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating our dead spirit to receive the gift of faith which He gives us, we want nothing to do with God. We push God away from our lives and want nothing to do with Him. The very desire that you and I have, though it may be small, to seek Jesus is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And when that desire for Christ buds in your soul, you must not squash it. You must pursue it and seek Him with all your strength. As usual, people are amazed at Jesus' teaching and His work. But here we also have Jesus, who is also amazed or astonished for their lack of faith. Jesus was only amazed during his ministry for one issue. Okay? And that issue was about faith. Jesus was amazed at the faith of the centurion, but here he is amazed at their lack of faith. And we're given the result of their lack of faith in verse 5. It says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. The result was that Jesus' work was limited due to their lack of faith. He could still conduct some miracles, but not much. And here's our final point in our outline. The lack of faith led to limited access to God's power. You see, faith plays a significant role in how God works in our lives. Here we see without faith, Jesus' work was limited. Now, Jesus can choose to do whatever he wants and heal whoever he wants, but faith is the necessary line that links us to Christ for him to unleash his power in us. The reformers recognized that biblical faith has three essential elements. Notitia, a census, and fiducia. These are the essential elements to a true saving faith in Christ. Notitia is the understanding of the notions or the content of the truth, such as Jesus is the Son of God, that he calmed the raging sea, that he drove the demons, and so on and so on. A census is the agreement or the assenting to these notions. When you hear these miraculous of st uh, stories of Jesus, do you agree that Jesus accomplished this work? And the third element of faith is the most important one. It is fiducia. It is a fiduciary relationship, as in, as in a fiduciary relationship. And it refers to a personal trust and commitment to the person of Jesus. See, if you let me borrow $100, you're trusting me to pay you back, aren't you? And knowing me, hopefully, uh, that I have given you enough credibility in my character that I will pay you back. Well, with Jesus, the Bible has revealed to us the credibility of his character, and he is worthy of our personal trust. Faith in Christ is necessary for salvation. See, we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, if we can sum up these aspects of faith and even the word faith itself into one English word, that word would be trust. Trusting in Jesus is understanding that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Trusting in Jesus 
is agreeing and assenting to the truth that he is the sacrificial lamb who lived to fulfill the righteousness through his sinless life and was crucified and rose again on the third day to justify sinners for his glory. And trusting in Jesus is knowing him personally through a right relationship with him by his spirit. So that we are tied to him as one by the rope of faith for him to unleash his power of salvation in us. By his power, my sins are nailed to the cross and his righteousness is accredited or given to me so that I can stand before the throne and joyfully meet the one who saved me when I, when I uh, see him face to face, when my faith is turned to sight. So this morning, do you desire peace from the storms of your life? Do you desire comfort in your affliction? And do you desire salvation from disease leading to death? Look to Christ and trust him. Have faith, and the one who is the resurrection and the life will unleash his power of salvation to save you. And if you have never trusted in Jesus personally, then I earnestly pray, then pray earnestly in faith and cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. If this is your genuine desire, then the Lord who has revealed himself through the word of God will respond to your request by the power of the Spirit as he responded to Jairus. Walk with him in faith and join a gospel-preaching church that will help you grow in your knowledge of the gospel truth. And for the church, perhaps you're a man or a woman of faith, a seasoned believer who has already given your life to Christ, and you desire to have a stronger walk with God, but there may be some doubts. Maybe your doubt is caused by the experience of a past sin, or a mental stumbling block of this culture, or even a decline in your condition, which may be hindering you from a closer walk with Jesus. If so, Remember that your grip on him may fail, but his grip on you will never fail. Even in rock climbing, the first time you're about halfway up the wall and, and you want to let go, it can be kind of scary because you don't know if the belayer and the rope is going to hold you up. But you can trust the one who is holding you has his eyes fixed on you and will never let go. Our trust in Jesus may be weak, but he will hold you to the end. Through the sandwich narrative, we're called to identify with the faith of Jairus, whose faith was strengthened through the faith of this woman. As we relate to his faith journey, we must also grow in our faith journey as we grow to trust him more and more in our personal walk with Jesus. Jairus' request begged the question, what will save his daughter's life? What Jairus needed was demonstrated through the woman's faith. And Jairus' daughter was saved because of his faith in Christ. Christ is the one who saved, but his faith was the instrument that empowered Jesus to save. When we lack faith in Christ, then we limit our access to God's power. Because faith is a spiritual line that binds us to Christ for him to unleash his power 
May our faith in Christ be strengthened like Jairus. And may we grow to trust him in every aspect of our lives. He who is the anchor of your line is holding you fast in your climb of faith. He is on belay. So climb on. Climb on.